And podcast people, what is up? This is Christopher Coleman of TrackSounds.com, and you are listening to The Soundcast, which is the official podcast of Track Sounds. And on the line today, we have Tom Hoover of ScoreNotes.com and a special guest who you know, who has been on Soundcast before, Sasha Dekitsian, uh composer extraordinaire. Uh, how are you doing, guys? Good, man. How are you? Doing excellent. Excellent. You guys are surviving the heat. Is it hot up in New Jersey, Tom? Uh, it, it, for a couple of weeks, uh, we were near 100. It's cooling down a little bit. It's a little chilly here at 80, 90 degrees. So. <laughs> it was in a, a, over a, or near 100 there? That's crazy. Yeah, tell me about it. The CDs were melting in the car. <laughs> Jesus. And, of course, Sasha, down where you are, it's always 75 degrees and perfect. Am I right? Yeah, it's uh, it was kind of cloudy last couple of weeks. You know, I mean, weather could be better, but you know, it's uh, it's still the heat is yet to come. So yeah, yeah, you guys get it towards the end of summer when it gets all dry and everything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, I should say just for our audience who may not be as familiar with Sasha Takichian, he's composer um, of video game scores such as Quake Two, uh, James Bond, Tomorrow Never Dies, Quake Three Arena. Of course, he's his, he's well-known in his partnerships with uh, composer Chris Velasco, and they've done scores for, like, God of War 1 and 2, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, Dark Messiah, um, uh, Beowulf, Prototype, uh, G.I. Joe, and the list goes on and on and on. Of course, you also do other work um, within the music realm. Uh, you go under the name of uh, the pseudonym of Toxin, and uh, where you produce uh, dance music. Yes. And and so forth, and so you're you're heavily into the music world, and that's why I'm so excited to have you on to talk about, um, among other things tonight, uh, Super Eight. So um, welcome again. And is there you've been working on a few things of late? Can you talk about a little bit about your latest project at this time, Sasha? Uh, yeah, uh, we pretty much you know E3 was last week, and we finally got the chance to talk about that we. Uh, our last score is uh, for Warhammer Space Marines, uh-huh. which will will be out in September, I believe. And uh, Chris and I have been working on that score for, you know, the better first half of the year. And uh, very happy to say that we finished and very happy with the end product. And I think people will like it. The game is awesome. And uh, just, you know, doing little things here and there, but uh, having just a little bit of time off right now. Oh, good. So you can take in... Some of the dozens and dozens of summer movies that are out there. Like Super 8, exactly. Like Super 8. <laughs> right. Well, before we get into Super 8, there's a couple couple of things that we like to just stay on top of and, and share with, with the Soundcast audience. And um, one of my favorite segments is our What Have You Been Listening To segment, where we just kind of share some of the things we've been into uh, over the last couple of weeks. And um, Tom, I ask you first, what have you been listening to? Well, just recently I've taken a spin with uh, Cars 2. Uh, quite nice. I think it's charming. Uh, I think uh, Randy really? Newman's... Yeah, I, I liked it. I, I think uh, Randy Newman's score was underrated. It has a nice theme. Uh, but I just like the, the the fun energy that Michael Giacchino brought to the table with this. Uh, hmm. it, it won't be a score that I'll listen to repeatedly, but for the couple times I tuned into it, is a lighthearted, innocent fair. Harmless, enjoyable fun. Harmless, enjoyable fun. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be putting that on the marketing. <laughs> the yeah, soundtrack. yeah, you could you could quote me on that. That's fine. <laughs> Tom Hoover of ScoreNotes.com says, "Harmless and enjoyable fun for the kids." <laughs> uh, very good. Um, anything else? 
Yeah, I've uh, absorbed Napoleon Total War. Uh, uh, Richard Beto. Uh, oh, yeah. Really like really like that score from the Creative Assembly. That uh, they've been churning out some really solid uh, game scores the past few years, and this is no exception. And I was mentioned on the last soundcast, and I'd just like to follow up and say I'm on, bo- on board with that as well. Yeah, Good it's stuff. it's an it's a seriously epic epic score. Uh, uh, Sasha, have you heard that score? Uh, actually, I have not yet. No, it won it won the uh, Ivor no- Ivor Novello Award uh, this year for best game music. I believe was the title of the award. Um, over Killzone Three, and I forget what what other ones were were nominated, um, but it's it's fantastic score. You can Marius's review is on the site if you want to check it out. I think he gave it a nine out of ten. Um, yeah, and it's available on Amazon MP3 and whatnot. It's 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 an excellent it's an excellent score, I have to say. Um, but well, Tom, any other anything else you've been listening to? No, just uh, just lastly the uh, the track team uh, and and their DC. Uh, showcase uh the, the shorts that dc put put out uh, it, yep. that's a nice nice uh nice varied album so yeah you know it, it's it's again uh, in the harmless fun category again but <laughs> you know it was cool to see them kind of traverse the different palettes of, of that universe yeah yeah i agree that is it's kind of a, a refreshing little compilation um very good uh, sasha Dikijian, yes. what have you been listening to recently well, I um, I really enjoy the score for uh, for Hannah, um, written by the Chemical Brothers. Yeah, quite the opposite uh, of uh, Cars Two, of course. <laughs> not so harmless and well, but maybe no, enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not really harmless for the kids, but uh, you know, I think I think it really worked well with the movie. Um, I know a lot of people didn't care for the movie, but I thought the music really elevated it, and it just gave it something really unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I can really identify myself to the sounds that they come up with because you know, listening to so- to a movie like uh, like Hannah with a score like that, I'm really kind of hoping or dreaming that maybe at one point I'm gonna going to be able to score a game just like that. Mm, okay. Uh, you know, but uh, anyways, but it's a great score, and I would definitely highly recommend it. Okay. Now, did you hear the music before you saw the film? Actually, I did not. Oh, you didn't. Okay, I did not. So, when you saw the film, were you already did you did you note it as you were watching the film? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew it was the Kelly Brothers, but I didn't really pay particular attention. But it was just that certain scenes really were elevated, uh, sort of like you know, adrenaline with the electronics, where you really go, "Wow, this is really cool." Uh huh. I, I always go by the goosebumps factor. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how I go. If if I get goosebumps, then that's it, you know. Uh, yeah, then it's a good score. That's that's not a that's not a bad way to judge it, actually. Yeah. Uh, anything else you've been listening to? Uh, yeah, uh, I have actually rediscovered uh, an older score for uh, Interview with the Vampire. Elliot okay. Um, just for some reason, I you know a couple of days ago, I just looked through my library and I was just amazed how great that score is, and so I've been just listening to that. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. That's, uh, di- that's digging deep for sure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, on the more casual side, I thought that the X Men uh, first class score was was pretty decent as well. Okay, that was good. Um, I kind of reacquainted myself with uh, Bear McCreary's SOCOM Four. I, I listened to it when it first came out, and then I just I don't know. I mean, I liked it, and then I kind of put it aside because I had to listen to other stuff for reviewing purposes or whatever other purpose. And just kind of got distracted from it, and so in the last week I, I popped it back in, and 
man, what a fantastic game score that is. He really, I mean, it's it's clearly Bear McCreary with his, you know, taiko drums and, uh, you know, you can tell his, a score of his from a mile away from that one uh, choice that he makes instru- instrumentally. Um, so I've been listening to that and enjoying that. Uh, and then there's a score that I literally have been waiting about three weeks to get. Uh, I ordered it from Japan um, for... I don't know if you guys are familiar with Makoto Shinkai. He's um, he's kind of been hailed maybe prematurely as the next uh, Miyazaki, which I don't know if he's at. He's a super talented uh, artist. Um, the the anime that he's produced over the last five years, some of the most amazing stuff. Very very understated. You know, it's not it's it's the antithesis of you know a lot of anime that's out out there. It's very uh, the stories are very simple, usually about kids growing up and so forth and he has a new film that came out i think it was in april or march i can't remember in japan and the composer he always works with his name is tenmon uh, and the score came out in japan around that time um and so i'm desperate to hear it and so i ordered it three weeks ago it arrived finally um this week i popped it in i listened to two tracks i was in my car at the time i got to wherever i was going so i stopped listening went back in the car um, as I was returning home, and it jammed. It jammed in the CD player, and it's one of those disc oh. changers, but but it's a, f- a front-loading disc changer, um, and it got jammed, and oh. uh, and it's totally just stuck. Won't go in, <laughs> won't go out, won't play, nothing. It's just broken. So That's so it's, this is a new category of what I wish I was listening to. Okay. <laughs> so I have to get a whole new car stereo, basically, um, to replace this one. Take this one out, which I'm going to be working on the weekend. Take the car stereo out, open the thing up, take it out, and just get a new whole new car stereo. So it's the most expensive soundtrack <laughs> I've ever purchased. Um, so once I listen to the rest of it, I'll be able to make a recommendation or not. But... Uh, if you like, he, he's like the Japanese composers are very melodic, you know, very strong piano is usually in the forefront. That's kind of his thing. And um, from what I heard, the two tracks I heard was very much along that line. Um, but actually, I should say I should say it's has that element, but he he's got a lot more strings involved. In fact, it's kind of going into Joe Hisaishi um, territory, which I was surprised because they're going to it's only going to get make Makoto Shinkai even more compared to Miyazaki because of that. Um, so I'm sure in a year or so when the U.S. finally gets this film and releases it, it, it it's called, I didn't even give the name. Um, in Japanese, it's Hoshi o Kodomo, but in the English translation is 15 times longer. The English title is Children Who Chase Lost Voices from Deep Below. Wow. How they how they get that from four Japanese words, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, not I- a... Go ahead. It's, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how Hollywood's going to decipher that title because you know how they like to shorten the uh, the titles of movies. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, they probably will just call it "Children Who Chase Lost Voices." <laughs> that's that's my guess. <laughs> so anyway, when it when I hear the rest, I can make a recommendation on that. But that's what I've been that's what uh, I've been listening to over the last couple of weeks.
Uh, Sasha, you mentioned uh, X-Men and checking out Henry Jackman's film score. And I, I asked on Twitter this week because um, I realized, wow, there's been, um, what is it, five scores now for X-Men or is it four? Really? Uh, five. There's five now. Oh, the Wolverine uh, movie counts. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yep. So you got original X-Men by Michael Kamen, X-Men 2 by John Ottman, X-Men 3, The Last Stand by John Powell, X-Men Wolver Origins, Wolverine by Harry Gregson Williams, and now X-Men First Class by Henry Jackman. Um, so I'll ask you guys, each of you, of those five, which one is your favorite? Uh, actually, it's almost a dead heat. Uh, I hate to cop out, but you know, you take the, uh, you take the Rogue Wolverine theme from X-Men 1, the end titles from X-Men 2, <laughs> the energy of X-Men 3, the opening titles from Wolverine, and just the and, and just the overall, you know, training montage sequence from X-Men 5, and you got a stellar compilation album. I, I, think, uh, I think as a whole, Henry Jackman actually plays better on disc than the others. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, in the film, I'd perhaps give the nod to John Ottman for, for the second X-Men, which is you know, probably the best movie out of the series, so it's no coincidence that the score is probably better than the others. Hmm. Okay. I, I totally agree with that, actually, that the, uh, I mean, the X-Men 5 is definitely working uh, as a standalone really well. Mm -hmm. I thought in the movie it was kind of, you know, you couldn't really, like, I couldn't remember anything, like, afterwards, like, yeah. in particular, like, the odd, uh, John Oppen score. Yep. But uh, I think that's a pretty good analysis. I would agree with that. Okay, interesting. Um, uh, before I share what my my favorite is, uh, do you guys have a guess as to which um, got the, the the biggest response on Twitter as the favorite? Ooh, probably the recent one. Uh, you know, uh, remote control representing perhaps that that caught the uh, wave. Uh, there was a few, but it wasn't wasn't the most. Hmm. Sasha, you have a guess. Probably the third one, Powell. Uh, Powell was well represented, um, and actually, I'll just say that was that's my my favorite one. Um, but Cayman got actually the most, not by much, but it got the most response. People seem to like the original one, which you know you got to go, go back a ways to even remember uh, that score. But yeah, I, I, I guess there's a lot of old school uh, film score people out there on Twitter because that one by 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 just a nose. I think Cayman got the, the largest response. So, you know, everything's been all about X-Men, or at least it was for about a week until um, Super 8 came out. And that is actually the, the main focus of our, of our discussion tonight. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, the, the way these, these movies are laid out, I mean, every week there is just a major release hitting the theater. So I feel sorry for them in a way because, you know, I think X-Men... First class would have made buckets load more if uh, yep. you know if Super Eight didn't come out, and, and Thor would have made bucket loads more if uh, X Men didn't come out. I mean, every week there's just something, um, a major tentpole release hitting the theaters. 
um, and sucking our money right out of our pockets. Um, <laughs> out of your pockets. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right, right out of them. Um, so Super 8, probably, probably, uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong, for me, it was probably, the, it's been the most anticipated movie of this summer. Uh, I think that was kind of the, the, the feel I was getting overall and just reading um, people's thoughts and, and anticipation on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. Um, and finally it arrived. Right. Was it for you guys? How were you looking forward to this more than any other movie this summer, Tom? I can't say that I was, I think the fact that they didn't unveil too much in the trailers was, was a good thing. I think that's what built up, you know, the, the, the enthusiasm plus having Spielberg attached to it didn't hurt. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I, it's kind of, jammed in there with some of these other blockbusters that you've just mentioned. Okay. Sasha, did you have any special place in your heart for this one going in? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, just the fact that this was like, I think the first collaboration sort of with Amblin Entertainment. Yep. You had Spielberg in there. You had JJ in there. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed like really it's going, going to be magic, magical, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most anticipated of the year, not wasn't for me. It was probably on the top five list, but uh, okay of the summer. How about that? Oh, of the summer, definitely for sure. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, let's let's get into it. Let's talk about Super Eight, and the, and then in this first segment, let's. I just want to ask you guys kind of your general reaction to the movie without getting into any plot details, um, and then we'll get into a a more spoil spo, spoilery discussion after that. Um, so, Shasha, I'll start with you. I saw some tweets from you on Super 8. What was your general reaction to the film? Well, my, my general reaction was, I mean, pretty much to sum it up, it was, I thought it was good, but it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. That was my, um, my feeling. I mean, everybody, you know, applauded after the movie was over. Um, and, I, and I thought that the, the, you know, the kids were really amazing. I mean, the acting was just flawless, yeah. you know, and the yeah. uh, movie looked great. Um, you know, I, what I didn't know was that they made this movie for, I mean, considerably less money than some of these other big movies, you know, mm-hmm. which kind of blew my mind when I read, I think it was something like $45 million only. In mm-hmm. in yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's uh, right. Yeah, but, but my first reaction was I was happy with it, but, you know, I, I personally felt like it could have been something, it could have been deeper a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was my reaction. Okay. Tom, what about you, your general reaction to Super 8? Well, uh, my general reaction is this. It, it felt like I was watching a Steven Spielberg uh, bootleg movie. <laughs> is that a good thing or a bad thing? N- not in this case. Um, y- you know, w- when you actually look at w- what develops within the movie, there's not much there. I think uh, Abrams went the manipulation route a little too hard to try to uh, pull on the uh, heartstrings. And it was just, you know, it's too, tra- you know, it's too easily seen. Um, and when you got to the, the heart of the story, it, it just felt a little lightweight for me uh, based on, you know, whether fair or unfair, the expectations that were built up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I My general reaction was that I enjoyed it. Um, I, I, I'd have to admit to being slightly disappointed uh that it that it wasn't more than and i think you guys have kind of said the same thing that it wasn't more to it um uh, what surprised me was i genuinely enjoyed the nostalgic feeling of watching the movie um being that it's set in the 70s 
you know, that's when I was a kid. So not only does it bring the nostalgia of being a kid in that era, but also this nostalgia of watching um, a movie in that era. So like when I saw E.T. or like when I saw Close Encounters as a kid, it also bring back those nostalgic memories. So I really just enjoyed that, um, regardless of the plot of the movie itself. Um, and so that was fun. It was just like, wow, I haven't, I haven't seen a movie like this in in twenty plus years. Um, I haven't felt this kind of a this specific nostalgic feeling in a in in a long time. And I really, really enjoyed that. Um, so when I walked out, I walked out satisfied, but only with a tinge of disappointment that I wasn't like just in awe. And maybe it's not even possible, you know, at my age now. I mean, when I was when I saw Close Encounters, when I saw E.T., you know, I was pretty young and I left the theater just in awe of 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 those specific movies and of movies in general and just just mouth agape and just like that was an incredible experience. Right. So I was a little bit disappointed that I didn't quite feel like that when I left. Um, so I guess, uh, did 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 either of you have that kind of a feeling experience with the movie? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I thought the you know the nostalgia fact was what kind of made the movie or what really worked so well. You know, I mean, when you look at ET, it's got the same scene there. You know, with the parents in the kitchen. You have these yeah. two, two, three other kids throwing stuff around. You know, uh, yeah. mom is trying to get through all this sort of like, uh, you know, there, there wasn't any any handheld cell phones. Nobody was texting, twittering, <laughs> facebooking, or anything. It was just like so much more simpler. Life was yeah. simpler, and I think that JJ really nailed that vibe. You know, I, I thought uh, I really wanted to to take that and take it to another level you know i almost wanted to go goonies route you know yeah 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 more discovery more adventure you know and yes i think at the end just like yourself and like tom said you know i i think when i walked out i was just not in awe as i wanted to be mm-hmm. and uh w- which doesn't mean it's a really not a good movie but again it could have been so much more sure yeah you know? how about you tom any nostalgic feelings in there or not much or what well, I think they absolutely nailed that tone. I also think that tone is what is perhaps masquerading in front of people for the movie that it, right. it really is. I, I think uh, I think that's what's appealing to people, and that's great, uh, and that's fine. But yeah, you know, it, 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 again, that hope for something magical—that that taste of magic that I haven't felt so long in the movies—yeah, it, it was right there for the taking, and, and they didn't—they didn't take it to, to, to that yes. extent. That's the That's perfect right. description, right? Exactly. Yes, that you use the the perfect word, which is magic. Um, I think. And uh, okay, well, let's let's go get into the fun part and um, talking about the movie itself, uh, where we where we can talk details and spoilers. So, all of you Soundcast people listening, we're now <laughs> going to get into spoilers. You want to skip to the next segment where we talk about the music, which might be spoilery too. We'll try to we'll try not to, but and, and contain our spoilers to this little segment here. So. Now that we can get into the meat of it, when we talk about the plot of the film, how did, how did you how did you like that? How did you like the story itself and what it was? Well, you know, you know, it, it, what I really liked is JJ approach to making these teaser trailers, where it doesn't really give away too much in the beginning. You know, you just sort of get teased and wonder what is it, what is it. 
yeah. what, what's in there. And I, and I thought that the idea of the story was really great because for me, I could relate sort of to that filmmaking aspect for the, of the kids because mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, like before I wanted to be a musician, I was just, you know, crazy about makeup effects. And I remember running around the house with a Super 8 camera and driving my parents insane, you know, <laughs> and parents insane. You know, it's like I remember begging my dad, you know, can you please get me film blood, you know, or something like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like crazy for the stuff. So I had almost like a little tear in my eye when I saw the kids with the Super 8 camera. And, yeah. you know, it's something that people today, kids today don't will never experience again. Right. The simpleness of things, you know, uh, creating something like that. But I thought it really started well. I, I think to me, the, the, uh, when, they, when they started shooting and that, that guy was driving on the tracks, it, it kind of felt like I was just sort of excited because I guess I've seen the trailer too many times. Uh-huh. And it, it kind of went fast into it. And then uh, there, was, there was, you know, I, I thought the whole... Uh, story about that the government have like has like an alien there and the alien is basically trying to just get home right it, it try it's it's not do, wanting to do anything bad or so it seems i don't know right but this is the stuff that they didn't really explore enough you know where I, where uh the kid at the end or towards the end was suddenly talking to the thing and it realized oh <laughs> gee i guess uh i'm not gonna kill him you know yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I at that point i just rolled my eyes and um I, I thought it could have gone a little bit deeper, more discovery, you know, with the kids going, let's say, underground and uh, and just watching them uh, get into the adventure a little bit more and, and try and maybe in a weird way come up with to communicate with, with, the, with the thing. Right. But just the yeah. talking, it just didn't work for me, you know. I mean, that, that part at the end was just uh, kind of like, yeah. like a bummer. But, I mean, overall, the story had... Like Tom said, you know, it was almost there. I mean, you could just, oh, man, it was like, please get better than this, you know? Right, yep. It just never happened. The thing that, I mean, you knew just from the even the very first teaser from months and months and months ago, you already knew that there was going to be some kind of threat right. involved. It wasn't going to be E.T. Yeah. Um, you knew there was something out there that was going to be threatening the lives of people or these kids anyway. So you kind of knew that. But and I thought everything was pitch perfect um, in terms of building up a an adventure for kids uh, of these kids and whatever they experience, they experience. I, I didn't. And in the end, you know, when I came out, I said, OK, this is uh, Close Encounters plus E.T. mixed with Cloverfield. And that's what this is. That's what this movie is. And it's the you can mix Close Encounters and E.T., but mixing in Cloverfield is a is a that's that's a weird mix in a way. Um, yeah, and it, got, it, yeah, it really bothered me that this was you know it wasn't really an alien because it seemed like a monster. Yeah. So, you know, did, was it alien because it understood the kid at the end suddenly? You know, or or I mean, I, I, I don't know. Absolutely agree on the reference to Cloverfield. I thought that the design could have been a bit more interesting. Maybe um, it was pretty freaky looking, <laughs> <laughs> especially as you just saw little glimpses of it. And you know that that it was much more suspenseful and much, I guess, even scarier than I thought it was going to be. The glimpses were great. I mean, those things were you know that needed a little bit more of them. I mean, like the gas station. 
yeah. scenario was great or yeah. the guy gets dragged and you don't see the thing. It's like the same thing like, you know, with other movies like Alien, the first one, you know, it's like you yeah. watch it, you don't see the thing and you're scared. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, in, in depending on which movie we talk about, but in this movie, the ending, I was just like, like I said, I just rolled my eyes pretty much, you know. I don't know how Tom feels. Yeah, Tom, what were your thoughts? No, I'm right on board. I think here's a stark difference uh, between a scene earlier in the movie and then the telegraphed conclusion. Uh, the scene in which the father and son are in that diner, they're not speaking a word, but they're both lamenting the loss of the person they love. Yep. And, and that really, you know, that, that was heartfelt, and it felt genuine. Mm-hmm. You know, f- flash forward to the end, everything is pronounced, everything is, is, is spoken out. Mm-hmm. And for me, that that like you, uh, Sasha, that that just didn't vibe for me. I, I it took me out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, the symbolism with the you know with the with his mom's clock being like the last piece. Yep. Which is kind of cool. I mean, it's like look, it's the typical Spielberg schmaltz. Yep. <laughs> ending, as I would call it, you know, you look at AI, you look at ET. I mean, you know, all, I've always rolled my eyes at the end of these movies. I mean. You rolled your eyes at the end of E.T.? Well, maybe not E.T. <laughs> but uh, let's not go to E.T. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I was just, uh, you know, I was like, uh, I, I really, I think the last 15, 20 minutes, I just expected more after all the secrecy. Yeah. And, and I think if, if that buildup would have not been there with all the teasers, all the talk about it, maybe I would have liked the movie more. Well, I, I personally stopped... Right. I stopped watching any interviews, t- t- tra- any footage. I, I just stopped because right. I've had too many, too many movies that um, that I wanted to go see. I've ruined by getting too much information. And this one, I said, I'm going to treat this special. Right. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, I've seen the, I've seen the two trailers, and that's it. I don't want to know anymore. I just want to go in and experience this thing. Um, and if there's any downside to, well, among the downsides to the internet. It's there's too much information available, Absolutely. and it's right there, and people are begging you to watch it, and like, oh, a new clip, or oh, there's this, and you're like, man, I want to see that so bad. But then you go to the theater, and you're like, I've seen most of this movie already online. But that's you know? why, that's why it was so great back growing up in the '80s. You know, like imagine Empire Strikes Back coming out today. I mean, oh god, you would have to go blind and deaf not to know that <laughs> that Peter is Luke's father. You know, it's like yeah. uh, it was like, I mean, yeah, it's definitely difficult today to stay away from these I, I just felt like you know i've seen the trailer the same i mean seen it a few times but i felt like the train crash i felt like i've already seen it yeah it was just yeah. long it was loud it was great it was cool um well i i honestly got taken out of that moment uh the tra- the, the train crash because one it was so long and i'm like really I mean, with a train really crashed for like, I don't know, three minutes straight. <laughs> um, and two, the kids are running parallel to the train. And I'm like, well, if a train was crashing next to me, I would be running away from the train, not parallel along the tracks. And so these are, you know, if I have thoughts like that while the scene is going on, there's something I didn't, something lost me. You know, if I think about it afterwards, I'm like, well, that was kind of long. And yeah, why didn't they just run away? perpendicular to the track instead of parallel to it uh but i was thinking this while it was happening and right. and so i was disconnected from that from that whole event and then seeing the truck at the end still being you know kind of in pretty good shape <laughs> considering what had just happened yeah. it's like really <laughs> um i don't know tom you have any other thoughts spoilerish thoughts 
Not spoilers, but I, I think the bottom line is, had J.J. Abrams went all the way with the movie he wanted to make it instead of emulating the Spielberg template, I think uh, we would have had better rewards. Uh, I kind of make a parallel to AI where Spielberg wanted to make a Kubrick movie, but he still imprinted his own personality onto the flick because at the end, instead of him ending up underwater and just cutting away, right. he tacked on you know the happy ending. Yeah. So whether you like it or not, he, he put his own imprint in a, on it. Sure. I don't feel Abrams did that with this. I think, uh, and the other thing, I think it's too soon for him to make a, an homage movie to somebody. This is only his third mm. directorial movie. You know, save it, save it down the road, buddy. Uh, just yeah. you know, just go for it for yourself right now. <laughs> that's that's an interesting point. It's only his uh, third movie. Wow, I didn't know that. Interesting. Uh, and, and, well, I'm one. I liked AI, and I and I liked and I liked the ending. I mean, I liked. The, oh, Chris, you did. I did. I <laughs> really did. I mean, especially because I maybe yeah, I even like the very ending. I won't even. I won't lie. Uh, but you know, the part when he was <laughs> in the water and they were pulling away, I thought it was over. Exactly. And then and then to go to the whole you know ice age and all that that was just like what the heck is going on? And then you know, and then all of the the androids have now become you know evolved into what they were. That blew my mind because I had no idea that was coming. So I was just in such a state of awe right. through that whole that whole process. I was like, man, this is fantastic. And then, you know, it had the the the, the schmaltzy ending, but I, it didn't ruin it for me because I that twist was so unexpected for me that it just made me love the whole thing. Now with and I, but I agree totally with you Tom in that um um you know, maybe it is a little early for Abrams to to be doing a an homage like that. But I think he very much did put put his handprint on this film because I don't think Spielberg would have made a monster movie out of it. Um, I mean, he made his movie. He made E.T. and he made Close Encounters. He made his versions of this. Right. And so the, the, the whole monster element was, uh, well, it maybe it was a little Jurassic Parky, um, like in the bus and all of that. That felt very Jurassic Park, but it still felt... That stuff felt very Abrams to me, and so I, I think he did put his hands on it and his imprint on it. I just didn't think that that m mixed very well. Maybe like same as other people think about AI, that that wasn't a good mix of Spielberg schmaltz with Kubrick, you know, yeah. coolness. You know, you know, you know. At one point, I thought it would have been much cooler if if they would have just bypassed the alien thing and just basically do like a Goonies thing, you know, like okay, film and they'd stumble across some treasure or something. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I don't know why, but you know it's it's so difficult too to be impressed with a new monster these days. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would not want to be one of the designers for one of these, you know, monsters because that's just like I would scratch my head, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. we've seen we've seen all these iterations before. Uh, that, through Battle of L.A. recently, uh, it's the same kind of motif, the same some sort of style of these guys, you know, being rolled out. I think. Uh, I think where people need to start taking chances is perhaps with their imagination when it comes to, to this type of element in, in these types of movies. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It felt like a little bit played too safe, you know? I mean, I think maybe that's why the ending was kind of just like a downer. Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, of course. And, you know, uh, it looks like this. And you're right. I, my first thought was Cloverfield. And, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, they just didn't, uh, I mean, I should have just gone all the way with it, you know? Yeah. Or, or to take a page from, um, oh, I forget his name now, the guy who did District 9, and to give the alien more than, oh, he's just right. 
stealing people or eating people, whatever he was doing with people, <laughs> give him, give him, give him something, make, give him some personality, give him, you know, cause you know, by the end of district nine, you're totally rooting for the aliens. Yep. And, and so he could have gone that route. I mean, there was just, it was just a monster in this, even though he wasn't a bad guy, um, he was a monster, you know, and that's, that was his role in the film, even though he was just trying to get home. Right. But, all right. Well, if there's no mu- no more on the movie itself, um, let's talk about Michael Giacchino's score for Super Eight. Uh, Tom, what did you think of the score? I liked it. I, I liked it. I liked the uh, military uh, motif uh, that rang in there. Uh, I-, I thought, uh, you know, there's not a grandiose theme, but there's some heartfelt moments uh, at the right spots. I-, I think I think he aced it uh, pretty much. Hmm. Okay. Sasha, what about you? Well, I mean, as you know, I'm a composer myself, so it's very difficult for me to criticize something oh, sure. like uh, Michael. But, I mean, overall, he does amazing work. And, uh, you know, i be honest with you, except for that cue at the very end when the watch is floating away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really don't remember anything. It's just, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, you know, when you, when we talked earlier, I was like sitting in like, which one? <laughs> and then you know when you when when I went to the website, they have this little clip playing there, which I guess was the theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, "Oh, that's not too bad. I really like that." Yeah, why don't I remember that though from the movie, which is really strange. Right. Well, that seems to be the case more often than not. I mean, look at X Men First Class. Absolutely. Uh, it's it seems like they mix these things not to the advantage of the score, that's for sure. Um, and they edit these things up so much that. You know, you just don't get this experience, the musical experience that we used to get. Um, so what was interesting for me, I, I kind of echo it, what you said, Sasha, in that, um, and I'm not a composer, so I can right. I can gripe <laughs> more without, Go for you know, causing problems. Um, you know, by the time I got home, I had kind of forgotten, I couldn't think of, I was trying to, what was the theme again? You know, now when I had listened to it on the site, I'd listened to it over and over so many times it kinda got ingrained in my head. But I'd forgotten it. And and I and so I actually tweeted that out. I'm like, right. you know, here it is a couple hours after I've seen the movie and I've forgotten all of the themes from the from the film. And I was like, This is not this is not a good sign in terms of the 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 the, the I don't know how to even put it. Right. It just wasn't memorable. Um You know and, go ahead. No, I, I, it's just it really blows my uh, blows my mind because you know you can always overscore a movie where it's just too much or too little. But when you remember all of these Spielberg movies, you know, I, I was yes. just two days ago watching E.T. again. And I mean, the whole bike ride with the Williams beautiful uh, cue. I mean, how can you even forget that? That's, you can't. It's, it's so what this what that guy does. He so melts the scene with the music that you can't imagine it without it. Yeah, it can't live. Yeah. I don't think there's that kind of signature moment in this movie, the way it was no. filmed, to be no. honest with you. And and I think had uh, G. Kino laid it on a little thicker, it would have taken away that nostalgia vibe that seemed to just fit in just right. You think it would have taken away from the nostalgia? I, th- I think it would have just made it a, a little more overbearing. I think, uh, I think if we have no complaints about how that whole vibe came across, then the music did its job in that it, it accompanied it. I think where the thematic stuff comes out is when you hear it on album that that military theme is nice, especially when it ramps up uh, the, the energy around the activity that takes place when, when, with them mobilizing and such. That That's what stuck with me. 
Mm, I mean, I, mean I think from an emotional point of view, he really, you know, he supported the right emotion to with the right scene. Yeah. You know, like at the end, it was very dramatic. It was very Williams at the end. I, I thought, you know, it was, was great. I loved it. Uh, but... Uh, mm. But I mean, I mean, Thomas Wright. I mean, that wasn't really. I mean, you know, like you got the train crash with this loud and you know special effects and and difficult to make a great theme when that happens. Sure. Uh, and you know, there was a few bike rides, but you know, I don't know. I just I was missing something. I don't know what it was. You know. Well, well, Tom, you hit it earlier when you said the word magic, but, and that is. So I agree with what you're saying that the music, Sasha, music supported the scenes very well. It did, but it did not lift the scenes to another level. It supported, it didn't lift. And that's what Williams' music did in Close Encounters. Absolutely. It did it in E.T. Um, and the music was given, you know, because that's, that's who Spielberg is. I mean, he said if he wasn't a filmmaker, he would have loved to have been a film music composer. And you see that evidenced in his films. He gives the music the spotlight at times. And the music was definitely not given the spotlight in this film. It was there to support uh, the story, which that's ultimately what it's there to do. But it can also lift it to a whole nother level. And it's so funny that you said that you watched E.T., Saja, because right. that's the first thing I did when I got home from watching <laughs> um, 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 Super 8. It's like, I need to see E.T. again. Right. And and just to compare the feel. And I've seen E.T. countless times, but I still wanted to compare the feeling. And that last... 15 minutes of that movie it just soars but it's all you know as Williams has said many times he sets everything up through the whole movie you just get a little clip of you know that main theme here and there and it and it's played softly here and you get you know four or five notes of it there um, a variation here but then at the end he's just like it's on and here it is in all its glory and you and it's familiar to you and now you know how to feel when you hear it you know, I can't even remember the. See, I've heard so many people say that the concluding, that finale music from Super Eight was so William esque. I can't even remember it. Right. I do not remember what the music was like there well, at all. I don't remember the exact notes, but I remember it being very, you know, string driven. I don't remember anything. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I'm being honest. I don't. I don't remember. I remember the scenes. I know what happens, but. I couldn't tell. I don't know. Was it the main theme? Was it who's? I have no idea. I mean, it, you know, I think it's a really difficult thing because it seems like one could argue saying that, well, yeah, the main point is to support the movie. And that's what people, what composers do today. You know, it's yeah. like you don't want to, to when, when there's movies, when it's too loud, it smacks you over the head with action music. And you just, uh, uh, you know, one movie that can, can, comes to mind where, I felt that way was Inception, you know, it just, it was like a music video. It just kept going and going <laughs> because I love the themes and I love the melodies that Hans did. It was brilliant. I mean, the, yeah. the, all the one note motif, the guitar, but it played like, like a slow motion video on MTV for like two hours. <laughs> that was like, it's, you know, even when they talk, it's too much. Now, Williams, mm. I think we, Williams possesses the magic with his light motifs yeah, that people don't use as much in movies anymore. No. Uh, because... Yeah, I think I think it's drilled out of people at this point. The way uh, directors and producers are, the way they play it safe. I think that whole uh, fundamental is going by the wayside, not by the choice of the composers. Uh, yeah. that, at least that's my guess. I, I would agree. I would agree with you because we know Giacchino has the goods. I mean, if you listen to metal, any of his Medal of Honor work, I mean that is Williams channeled right there. 
and we know he can go that direction. So I put this mostly on Abrams, um, that this is what he asked for, and G. Kino gave him that. But it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the magic, and so that's why when you said Tom earlier that you know the nostalgic, it was captured perfectly. I don't think it was captured perfectly in terms of the music. Everything else, in terms of the setting and all that, visually, uh, even the, the dialogue and whatnot, especially with the kids, that was all perfect. But the music, I think, if there was any letdown in that nostalgia, it was I, musically. You know, you know that's funny because the the first teaser, if you remember, used the cocoon. Yes. Music, which is, I guess, how old is that movie? I don't know, like eighty eighty five or something like that. Yeah, I mean that worked really well when you saw them riding on the bike. That was no it's perfect. There was no talking. It was just a little. The, those those little few notes, but it just yeah. was so. I mean, it felt like magic instantaneously. Yes, got goosebumps. It's the goosebumps again. So I got goosebumps when I saw that teaser, which I didn't get when I watched the movie. <laughs> yeah, but the but the teaser got you in the theater, and that's all they care about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's like we all agreed on. I mean, you know, it, it, it was really it's so close to be, to being really great movie. You know, uh, like a really perfect summer great movie because everything else I've seen so far this year was just not good and. Uh, yeah, I really want it to be good. I don't want it to fail. You know, what I mean, sure, but uh, sure, but it's going to be interesting listening to the score. I mean, I'm going to uh, when is it coming out? Twenty. Yeah, well, it's, it, you're making a good a segue for us here. Um, it doesn't come out until the 28th of this month, June. So a good three weeks after the the release of the film. Um, it's kind of and, unusual, isn't it? It, it yeah, it, and it happens, and I've and I've asked around, and I just wanted to get your guys' reaction. I'm going to ask you a specific question to it. You know, it's not it it wasn't in a, in, an intentional thing. Um, you know, sometimes and it's happened in the past. You know, they've released soundtracks much later than the movies in the past, but because it was Super Eight, it for me it was very um, it, it jumped out at me. It's like wow, this is a huge movie, and everybody's going to be going nuts over it when it comes out. Man, that soundtrack should be out. You know, when it comes out, it should be out. Um, but you know, there's there's so many things that that the labels are relying upon the studios to get them assets of all different and sign and give them rights to do this with the cover and the music. All this stuff has to be done, and um, more more than likely that was the case here. That uh, uh, they just didn't get whatever the label didn't get. Verez didn't get what they needed in time to release it on time. Uh, so it ain't probably not their fault. Right. Uh, probably the studio's fault on that. Um, but my question to you guys is, uh, does the delay make you want the music anymore? Uh, or or does your does your desire to have it kind of lessen because it's fading off into the distance now? Tom, what about you? Uh, I think, since everything is made of immediately available to us these days, I don't mind a little bit of a wait. Okay. It, it, it does give me a little something to look forward to. So it doesn't decrease if anything, it might build up a little more anticipation. Interesting. Interesting. What about you, Sasha? How do you react to that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's a good point. I mean, instant, you know, everybody wants everything right now, but um, it would have been interesting to just go home and, and, and cause I was curious to just play the whole thing. Yep, and just listen to it after I have the movie still fresh in my head, and then yep. maybe I could relate to certain scenes again, or say, "Oh yeah, that was the military thing." You know, Tom was talking about because I right. don't remember it. But right. you know, at the end of the day, um, 
I, I think it will still sell well, and I will buy it for sure. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for me, I've kind of kind of has made me anticipate it more, um, and kind of want it more. Although I agree with what you say too. I, I did want to, I wanted to jump into my car leaving the theater, and I want to listen to the music right away. Um, and and it's the facts are there. You know, people if people are going to buy soundtracks, they tend to buy it right after they see the movie when it comes out, and then when you know it's issued on DVD or Blu-ray. Those are the top times that soundtracks sell, which makes sense. Um, so, but the feeling that I was getting was like you guys in that there is a little bit of anticipation there, and it's like I kind of want to. I'm kind of eager to revisit the movie through the score, right. you know, and, and it not being there right away is kind of an interesting feeling. Of, Man, I can't have it right now, but so I kind of want it all the more. <laughs> um, so kind of an interesting dynamic there. But it's been amazing on Twitter of how many like film guys who have film blogs and whatnot have. We're tweeting out there's like, why is the soundtrack not available? You know, where is it at? Why? You know, so I've replied to more than a handful, like comes out on the 28th. They're like, what? Why? You know, they're really just shocked that it wasn't available to them right away. Yeah, there's only the uh, the soundtrack, what's it called? Music Inspired By or something is out there. Is there? I think so. Yeah, I saw something oh, I... with Super 8 on iTunes, yeah. Really? It must be just the 70s licensed stuff? Yeah, probably that's what it is, right. Uh, nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think that's going to wrap it up. You guys have any other thoughts about Super 8, the music, or, or the movie? No, I'd just like to say, you know, I hope more people try to create original stories like this, you know, because that's the direction we have to go in because everything else is basically a retread uh, these days. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, and I'll say, I give I give J.J. Abrams credit for doing this film. I, I like that he went, and yeah, it's early in his career to be paying homage. Um, but I like that he tried. Right. I like the experience that he gave me overall and just being able to feel like I was a kid again, uh, watching a movie, you know, set in the in the 70s like that and kind of having that experience. So I give him full credit. Uh, oh, but I will say the the lens flares, <laughs> it's it's got to stop. I, I you know, the first lens flare in the movie was so obnoxious. It was when they were at the tra uh, train tracks getting ready to film. I didn't even think it was a lens flare. It was so blatant across the screen. It was just this big blue blotch. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And, and I had heard that there was lens flares in it. But it didn't dawn on me that that was like the first scene that was using this lens flare business. And it was like that every time that came on, it kind of took me out of the scene, even though it's probably more accurate to how cameras would, if you were filming in that era... You would get a lot of that kind of lens flare refraction and whatnot, but it was so distracting to me. Did it did it bother you guys at all? No, I mean, I, you know, I have to be honest. I kind of enjoy them <laughs> to a degree. Really? Well, to a degree. I mean, I, I kind of liked them in Star Trek. It made everything look cool. Oh, I mean, it was maybe, so distracting. It was maybe a little bit of overkill, but you know, <laughs> but I I agree with uh, with Tom. I mean, originality is really something that I think we need and. You know, after watching another superhero movie and another superhero movie, I'm kind of like, talk about rolling eyes again. I mean, it's just, <laughs> and I know I'm I'm alone. And I mean, no, you're not. Almost... There's a lot of people whining about it. <laughs> yeah, Stop with the superhero stuff, man. I mean, another reboot for Spider-Man. Really? Come on. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's, it was done. The first one was good. So let's just move on to something more unique. Um, well, you're challenging them to be creative and that's a lot harder. <laughs> than just it is rewriting something absolutely yeah 
I think that'll wrap it up for this edition episode. This is twenty episode twenty seven of the Soundcast. Uh, Sasha, um, you're at Toxin uh, on Twitter a uh, at T O K S I N. Uh, they can find you at your website Sonic Mayhem. Uh, you've got your. You think there is there going to be a music release for? Um, for is it Space Marine? Space Marine, yes, there will be. Uh, it will be first released within the limited edition of the game, and then a few okay. weeks later, it will be having uh, getting an iTunes release. Okay, and then it well, will get also actually get a physical release as well. Oh, nice! Yeah, nice. How many hours of music did you write for that? Uh, we wrote about 120 minutes. Okay, so uh, I mean, game wise, you know, for a game, we wrote a lot of music. Um, yeah. Uh, soundtrack is like I think it's 19 tracks and uh, yeah I hope you guys like it when it comes out oh I'm, I'm looking forward to it very much so and Tom of course you're at score notes on Twitter and then your website scorenotes.com which I've failed to mention like three episodes in a row you've kind of revamped your site a bit new design there and um, some new features going on there um, anything in particular you got going on the site you'd like to plug uh, not so much on the site, but yeah, I'm working with some creative folks on a uh, sci-fi project that's starting to take a little bit of form. So hopefully, I'll have some updates later in the year on, on that. Fingers crossed. Okay, excellent. We look forward to to breaking the news on it. Um, well, for those of you faithful Soundcast listeners, we'd like to thank you for for continuing to listen, and uh, also just wanted to mention that you can support the Soundcast. These are getting kind of popular, and the bandwidth um, on these episodes is going up and up and up. And uh, so we could really use your help. We've gotten a, f- a few donations over the last couple weeks, but that slowed down a bit. But the traffic to, s- to the to the episodes has not slowed down. So if you can help with a dollar, two bucks, whatever you want to do, twenty bucks, thousand bucks, we'll take it all. <laughs> um, you can find a little donate PayPal donate button on the Track Sounds website or on our Soundcast page. So you can easily make a donation there. We we thank you for being such faithful uh, supporters and listeners. And um, so that's going to do it for this particular edition of the Soundcast. So uh, until we are together again, we want to ask you to stay tuned.